Hello, listeners. Buckle up for a new episode of VoiceOver Work and Audiobook Sampler. Where do you listen? Today is Monday, February 13th, 2023. How often have you promised yourself that you'll start working on your side hustle in January, only to have thrown in the towel by February? Or perhaps you need to lose weight, but can't seem to stop eating the foods that make you pile on the pounds. Does this sound familiar? Not to worry. Daniel Walters, in his new book, Habits for Success, claims that he has the solution for you. Today's episode is the chapter-by-chapter preview of Daniel Walters' new book, Habits for Success. Chapter 1. How do we develop bad habits? Most of us were born and raised in well-meaning families who taught us to do the bare minimum. My parents encouraged me to get a good education and get into a career that offered attractive benefits and a decent retirement package. This is what their parents taught them, and so that was what they taught me. When they came home after a hard day's work, they spent the rest of the evening in front of the TV watching their favorite shows until bedtime. The last Friday of the month was our favorite day because we went to the local Chinese restaurant. I'm not complaining. I had a decent life, but it was one devoid of purpose. I inherited my father's writing gift. My dad had a dream of becoming a famous author, like Stephen King, and he spoke all the time about the book he was writing. Every year was the same. On New Year's Eve, he would declare that he was going to finish writing his book by December. For the first month, instead of watching TV after work, he'd go into his room play classical music and type. We could hear the typewriter ricocheting through the house, but by February, he was back in the living room watching TV, his excuse being that he had writer's block. Well, that writer's block would last until the end of the year, and then he would declare the same thing. My father never became an author. He went to his grave with a half-completed book. My grandparents discouraged my father from becoming an author. As far as they were concerned, it wouldn't bring in a stable income, and it would be impossible for him to raise a family with any pride. They believed success was only for the privileged and not for simple people like them. My dad chose to honor his parents' wishes and become an accountant, subsequently spending his entire life complaining about his job. When I expressed an interest in writing, my father did exactly what his parents had done to him and encouraged me not to follow my dreams. I, too, honored my father's wishes for many years until I realized that I had become him. As much as I loved him, I didn't want to die without reaching my full potential and blessing the world with the gift I knew I'd been born with. I am grateful that my father lived to see me achieve the dream that he didn't. When I first attempted to start writing, I was literally following in my dad's footsteps. I'd make a New Year's resolution, bury myself in it, then give up by February. I, too, started to believe that success was only for the privileged. That was only because I didn't understand that I had been programmed for mediocrity. But things changed for me once I learned why my bad habits were keeping me stuck and how I could break free from them. As you heard in the introduction, 
I had a plethora of issues. So it's literally a miracle that I am where I am today. The subconscious and the conscious mind. The brain is the most complicated and powerful organ in the body. It's made up of two parts, the conscious and the subconscious mind. You can compare the subconscious mind to the hard drive on a computer. It permanently stores every memory we have in life, and its capacity is unlimited. According to experts, by the age of 21, the subconscious mind has stored over 100 times the contents of the Encyclopedia Britannica. When an old person is hypnotized... Chapter 2. Why Self-Discipline is the Most Important Habit to Master Did you know there are people in the world more talented than the best singers, dancers, and actors? There are people in the world who are smarter than Bill Gates and Warren Buffett. But one thing these people don't have is discipline. You see, you can be naturally gifted, but if you don't have the discipline to refine those gifts and become an expert, you'll never prosper. Kobe Bryant, may he rest in peace, was and still is considered one of the greatest athletes of our generation, not just because he was a naturally gifted basketball player, but because of his relentless work ethic and unstoppable mindset. In 2016, he accepted the Icon Award at the ESPYs and gave a powerful speech in front of his fellow athletes. One of the things he said was that he didn't get to where he was because of his talent, but because he woke up at 4 a.m. every morning. He had a dream, and he was persistent in ensuring that it became his reality. But he had to make many sacrifices for it, and one of those sacrifices involved waking up at 4 a.m. to practice. Kobe Bryant was known as one of the greatest athletes of all time because of his dedication to his dream. When we look at successful people, we're looking at a finished product. What we don't see are the years of blood, sweat, and tears it took to build a foundation strong enough to hold the weight of such a powerful vision. We see the glitter, the gold, the glamour, the mansions, cars, designer clothes, gold medals, and sold-out concerts. But what we don't see is the work that goes into it. And that's what most people are not prepared to do. In order to become successful, you've got to develop some very uncomfortable habits. You've got to outwork everyone else, and you've got to outwork yourself. In his book, Change Your Habits, Change Your Life, author Tom Corley studied the daily habits of 233 millionaires. But it didn't stop there. He also studied the habits of 128 people who earn less than $35,000 per year. And what he found was that your habits will determine whether or not you succeed in life. Let's take a look at the good habits of highly successful people and the bad habits that are keeping you at the bottom of the totem pole. Wealthy people are early risers. Approximately 50% of the millionaires in Corley's study woke up at least three hours before their workday began. Most of them spent that time exercising, planning the day ahead, or tackling personal projects. Corley states that waking up at 5 a.m. to get the most important things on your to-do list out of the way gives you control over your life. It provides you with a sense of confidence that you are, in fact, 
the captain of your ship. Wealthy people read books. 80% of the respondents in Corley's research said that they spent at least 30 minutes a day on self-improvement by reading. Wealthy people don't read for entertainment purposes, but to educate themselves. They prefer reading books on personal development, biographies, and history. Self-made billionaire Warren Buffett says he spends approximately six hours per day reading and that it's been the most important habit he's developed. Wealthy people exercise. Studies have found that exercise gives you mental clarity and improves your motivation. Corley reports that 76%... Chapter 3. Change your thinking, change your life. My friends and I used to mock the advocates of positive thinking. I found people like Tony Robbins and Deepak Chopra highly irritating. To me, being positive when your life was crumbling to pieces made no sense whatsoever. I thought it was highly unrealistic to walk around with a smile on your face when you didn't know how you are going to make it through the rest of the month. But once I got my head out of the clouds, I learned that positive thinking wasn't about living in denial about the reality of your situation, but about reframing it so you can handle it better. Before I get into how you can change your thinking, let's take a look at some of the benefits of positive thinking. Improved physical health. It isn't known whether positive thinkers are more likely to take better care of their health through regular exercise and a healthy diet, but research suggests that optimists are healthier. There may be several reasons for this, including the fact that they don't experience as much stress, and because of the way they think, when they do experience it, they're better able to cope. Whatever the reason, optimists appear to be healthier than pessimists. Studies have found that they are unlikely to die from cardiovascular disease, less likely to catch colds or flu because their immune systems are stronger, likely to recover faster from illnesses or injuries, likely to live longer. One study monitored 70,000 women between 2004 to 2012 and found that those with a positive attitude towards life were at less risk of dying from conditions such as respiratory disease, infection, cancer, stroke, and heart disease. Improved mental health. People with a positive mindset are less likely to suffer from mental health problems, such as anxiety and depression. Overall, they experience better psychological health in comparison to pessimists. Although positive thinking isn't a cure for mental health problems, when you look at life through a positive lens you are better equipped to handle difficult life events. Better coping mechanisms for stress. Stress is a part of life. It's something we can't avoid. People lose their jobs, have conflicts at home, work, or with friends, a death in the family, etc. Whatever the situation, what matters is how you handle it. Studies have found that optimists are more likely to deal with negative circumstances by strategizing and finding ways to rectify the situation. They don't waste their time complaining about the things they can't change, why the situation occurred, or whose fault it was. Pessimists take the opposite approach and lament instead of trying to fix it. 
a more active social life. Think about it like this. Who do you prefer to be around? Positive or negative people? Even negative people like being around good vibes because it makes them feel better. Optimists laugh a lot. They can always see the light at the end of the tunnel. And they've just got a good attitude in general. People like this generally have more friends and get invited to more social engagements. More successful. When you expect good things to happen in your life, that's what you attract. In his book, As a Man Thinketh, James Allen stresses how important it is to think well of ourselves. Chapter 4. Environment is Everything The first time my mentor came to my house, he was horrified. He did a walkthrough, told me he'd call me later, and left. I stood staring at the front door for about five minutes, bewildered at what had just happened. Mike had asked to come over to my place for a coffee so we could go over some stuff. I was really looking forward to spending time with him, asking questions and getting to know more about how he became successful. After I'd got over the initial shock, I pulled my tie off and flung it around the banister, kicked my shoes off into opposite ends of the room, and made my way into the kitchen to see if I could find a clean plate to eat the rest of my pizza on. Mike did call later that evening, as promised, and the first thing he said to me was, Buddy, if you want to be successful, you've got to tidy up your house, and I don't mean just make things look neat on the surface. You need to declutter completely and turn your home into a sanctuary. He went on to give me scientific facts about how an untidy environment can have a negative effect on your state of mind. I'll talk about that in a bit. Mike said he'd been just like me at my age, and it wasn't until he got organized that his life started to change. I knew he was right, because I only had to remember how I'd felt when I'd gone to his house in comparison to how I felt when I was at home. I felt like Superman when I was at Mike's, and when I got home, I felt as if it would never be possible to reach my goals. I'd assumed it was because I was in the presence of a successful person, which made the idea of success more tangible for me. But the problem was my environment. Let's take a close look at why an untidy home has the ability to hinder your progress. Clutter causes stress. Are you surprised? What's it like trying to look for something when your house is a mess? Stressful. I remember the days when I was late for work because I couldn't find my car keys. My keys would always land wherever they landed, and the next morning, I'd get all flustered trying to look for them. One study reported that people who referred to their homes as cluttered and full of unfinished projects were more tired, depressed, and had excess cortisol in their bloodstream in comparison to those who described their homes as restorative and restful. The study also reported that high levels of cortisol can accelerate disease and cause chronic stress. Clutter interferes with your diet. Who wants to cook in a kitchen full of dirty dishes? I know I didn't, and so instead of making a healthy meal at home, I'd go out to eat. For breakfast, I'd grab a McDonald's, and for lunch, it was pizza. 
Research has found that people make healthier food choices when they're in an orderly environment. One of the reasons for this is that, as mentioned, clutter causes stress, which leads to coping mechanisms such as overeating and comfort foods. Clutter affects your breathing. I had severe allergies when my house was cluttered. My nose was always running and my eyes were always itching. I didn't know why until I read that cluttered homes gather more dust and attract dust mites, which can lead to breathing problems and allergies. Clutter affects your relationships. According to research, hoarders have higher rates. Chapter 5. You might need to change your friends. My mentor is like a well of wisdom. Everything he's told me so far has been right on the money. I'm so grateful that I had him to guide me when I started out on my success journey, because I doubt I would have made it otherwise. And one of the main reasons for this would have been because of my friends. One of the first pieces of advice he gave me was to prepare myself to either lose friends or find the strength to cut them off. This was because we are who we associate with. When I was growing up, my mom and dad would always say, show me your friend and I'll show you your character. They said this any time I brought a friend home who they felt was going to be a bad influence on me. I found this highly annoying, but I later understood what they were saying. I used to think I was responsible for the decisions I made and that I wasn't influenced by my friends. But when I took the time to evaluate my life, I realized that this wasn't the case. My friends had a major influence on everything I did. Additionally, there's plenty of research suggesting that we tend to adopt the habits of the people we're psychologically and physically closest to. It's referred to as mirroring. And the idea is that on an unconscious level, we emulate the traits of our friends. If you want to test this out, take a trip to your local mall over the weekend and pay attention to a group of teenagers. You'll notice that you can't really tell them apart. They wear similar shoes and clothes. They dye their hair the same color. They talk and walk the same. As adults, the influence our friends have over us is not as obvious. In most cases, once we move into adulthood, we stop dressing the same and stop dyeing our hair the same color as each other. But this doesn't mean we don't take on other traits. In my situation, my friends were making me poor. I had a mountain of debt, and my spending was out of control. Is it a coincidence that we were all in the same boat? Here are three ways my friends were keeping me in a state of financial lack, and why yours might be too. Some friends are freeloaders. Hey, can I borrow $500 to cover rent? I'll pay you back at the end of the month. The end of the month comes and goes, and no mention is made of the $500. Oh, shoot. I forgot my wallet. Can you get this round of drinks? I'll transfer the funds over to your account. That transfer never happens. I really want to go on this vacation with you guys, but I had to help with my sister's school fees last month. I'm a little short. Can you put the deposit down for me? 
and I'll pay you back before we go? Then comes the excuse a couple of weeks before the vacation. Can you relate to any of these? Some of my friends were always asking me to lend them money, and I never got it back. One of the reasons for this was that I was a people pleaser, and I didn't like conflict, so I just hoped they'd remember, and conveniently they never did. The freeloaders in the group took full advantage of this. I am in no way saying you should stop helping your friends when they're in need, but if there's a pattern, you've got a problem on your hands, and you'll need to start thinking about whether you really need friends like this. Chapter 6. You will need an accountability partner. No, you don't need new friends. You need an accountability partner. Someone who's achieved the level of success you're aiming for and who knows exactly how to get you where you need to go. An accountability partner will keep you on track and ensure you're doing what you need to do to achieve your goals. Getting an accountability partner, his name is Mike, was one of the best things I've ever done. Here's why. They help you reach your full potential. An accountability partner is like a personal trainer. They know how to push you past your perceived limits. I got a personal trainer before an accountability partner because I knew I wasn't pushing myself hard enough at the gym. I wanted to achieve my ideal body, but it wasn't going to happen if I kept giving up every time I got tired. Also, they could show me how to get the best use out of the gym equipment I was using. I worked out by myself for seven months before I got a personal trainer. During those seven months, I didn't see that much improvement. It took me three months to reach my body goals once I hired a trainer. An accountability partner will highlight the areas in your life where you can make more progress. Where you think you've mastered your gift, they'll challenge your abilities and force you to improve. I don't believe there's any such thing as reaching the top of your game, because there's always room for improvement. That's why athletes are always challenging themselves to beat their own record, because it's possible. But the reality is that if someone isn't overseeing that challenge, you won't have enough drive to see it through. They are not haters. The good thing about an accountability partner is that they're already way ahead of you in terms of success, and so they've got no reason to feel insecure when you make it. Some of your friends, on the other hand, are not going to be so happy for you when you achieve an important milestone. This is especially true if they're not there yet. Your accountability partner has walked with you on your journey. They've seen how hard you've worked, and when you succeed, they're just as happy for you as you are for yourself. Also, they took on the role because they have a passion for helping others reach their full potential. They can give you better insight into your progress and motivate you to continue moving forwards. When you're working towards achieving something, you should celebrate every small milestone. And what better person to celebrate them with than the one who's truly rooting for you? They keep you motivated. Much like a personal trainer who will demand that you do an extra 20 push-ups because they know you're not finished yet, an accountability partner will keep reminding you of your why so you don't quit prematurely. 
Sometimes it's difficult to motivate yourself, especially when things start going wrong. But an accountability partner has likely made the same mistakes, if not worse, and pulled through. They'll remind you of their failures along their journey, what they learned from them, and how those failures shaped them into the person they are today. Before you get an accountability partner, you need to take personal accountability for your life. It's not uncommon to believe that successful people only got to where they are today because they were born with a silver spoon in their mouth. As you'll hear in a moment, this is certainly not the case. The wealthy are also targets of vicious attacks from the middle and lower. Chapter 7. Free Yourself from the Victim Mentality Life sucks sometimes. The majority of people will eventually come to this conclusion. But as you've just heard, hard times don't mean you can't succeed. Unfortunately, no matter how difficult life has been for you, no one is going to give you what you want because they feel sorry for you. Whether or not you achieve your dreams depends on the decisions you make. If you're going to sit and wallow in self-pity about what you've been through, expect to remain in that position. Imagine where Les Brown would be now if he had accepted his disability. The world would not have been blessed with his wisdom. The reality is that he had every right to give up, and no one would have thought any less of him, but he decided that he was going to become who he was destined to be, and so can you. Before you can free yourself from the victim mentality, you need to become familiar with its three main beliefs. I'm going to fail anyway, so there's no point in trying. Everything and everyone is to blame for my misfortune. I always attract negative circumstances. According to experts, people with a victim mentality don't take responsibility for their position in life. They blame everything, from their upbringing to the way they've been treated, for their inability to achieve their dreams. There are also several recognizable character traits associated with the victim mentality. These include a sense of entitlement. They have a chip on their shoulder and believe that the world owes them something because they were not born into wealth. Everyone should feel sorry for them, and they expect handouts from anyone who is capable of assisting them because of their underprivileged situation. They truly believe they have no control over the decisions they make and neither are they responsible for the consequences associated with those actions. Personal accountability is non-existent for the person with a victim mentality because everything that happens in their life is because of some external force that's out of their control. They can't make things happen because things just happen to them. Low self-esteem it's difficult to feel good about yourself when you want more out of life but can't achieve it because you believe you are the world's number one enemy. Such people don't think they're intelligent enough to earn more money or talented enough to become successful. Because they accept their insecurities as fact, they won't invest in themselves by taking a course to improve their skills or going back to school to get the qualifications they need. They refuse to make the effort required to change their circumstances and waste their energy playing the blame game instead of using those obstacles as a stepping stone to better themselves. 
frustration, resentment, and anger. When you think the whole world is out to get you, including friends and family members, life becomes very frustrating. The burden of these emotions make you see the worst in everything. You interpret innocent comments as insults. You resent anyone around you who's successful. And you feel an overall sense of anger because you've chosen to accept defeat. Limiting Beliefs When you've got a problem for every solution, you cause your own stagnation. The victim mentality prevents a person from moving. Chapter 8. How to Beat Procrastination Do you have a paper to write, a project to work on, or a book to read, but instead you'd rather scroll through social media or watch a YouTube video? If so, you're no different from the average person. The majority of people would rather spend their time engaging in short-term satisfying activities than long-term difficult goals. Everyone struggles with procrastination. The question is why? You'll find the answer hidden in the curse of instant gratification. The curse of instant gratification. We live in a microwave society. We've been trained to want what we want and to get it immediately. Technology has advanced so quickly that we have access to what we need at the click of a button. In many ways, this is a good thing. For example, I like having the security of an Amazon Prime membership, knowing that whatever I order will arrive in 24 hours. I like the fact that I can order food online and have it delivered to me within a few minutes. I like the fact that I can easily connect with friends and family members in different countries. I like the fact that I can access the Internet through my phone when I'm on the go. But there's also a dark side to this. Immediate access to what you want encourages instant gratification. What is instant gratification? It's the act of experiencing instant satisfaction instead of sacrificing for a future benefit. You might think there's nothing wrong with this, but research proves that it hinders your ability to become successful. Here's why. In 1972, Stanford psychology professor Walter Michel conducted an experiment known as the marshmallow test. It involved leaving children between the ages of three and five alone in a room with two plates full of tasty-looking treats. The researchers told the children that they were leaving the room to do some work and that the children could eat any of the smaller treats on the plate. However, if they waited until the researcher returned, they could have one of the bigger treats. Once the door was closed, the children were monitored through a two-way mirror to see how they would deal with the temptation. The study revealed that the children who had enough self-discipline to wait for the greater reward got higher SAT scores, did better in school, had better emotional coping skills, higher self-esteem, and were less likely to abuse drugs. The children who gave in to the temptation of the early treat got low SAT scores, had low self-discipline, and were in bad health or obese in their adult life. When we feel the desire to engage in something pleasurable, whether it's entertainment, food, or sex, Rarely do we spend time processing that feeling and having a conversation with ourselves, such as, 
I'm feeling peckish right now. I'd love to eat that slice of chocolate cake, but I think I'll wait. Humans are wired to act on our urges as soon as we feel them, because we want to indulge in a pleasurable experience. Back in the day, this worked to our advantage. Our ancestors had to think and act quickly or they wouldn't survive. They rarely thought about long-term gain. Planning for the future is important, but when a predator's on your heels or you're given the chance to eat until you're full, because starvation was a much bigger problem than obesity back then, you're going to do what's necessary to survive. Chapter 9. Eat Your Way to Success I love food. And once upon a time, I had a terrible diet that consisted of fast food and sodas. I was shocked to find out how much food can influence your ability to succeed in life. Maintaining concentration and focus throughout the day is essential to your productivity. It is true that there are a lot of ways you can improve your concentration through being more mindful, taking short naps, developing your own focus formula, etc. But food has a major impact on how we feel throughout the day. The brain is a tiny little organ, but it's extremely powerful. I've come to the conclusion that it's more dangerous than a nuclear weapon. Think about it for a minute. There would be no nuclear weapons if it weren't for the human brain. It was thought about before it was created. Anyway, that's an entirely different issue. But you'll be amazed to know that the brain is so small it only accounts for 2% of your weight. However, it uses 20% of the energy produced by the body. If you don't provide the right nutrients for your brain, after a while, you'll start experiencing symptoms such as fatigue, memory loss, and concentration problems. If you're trying to break bad habits and replace them with good ones, you can't afford to have low energy. I know from personal experience that when you can't be bothered to do something, you choose the easiest option. I'd rather talk on the phone than engage my brain in my financial management course, or I'd rather watch TV instead of get my house in order. As you'll soon hear, there's plenty of research suggesting that healthy foods fuel your brain in the right way, allowing you to operate to your highest potential. In general, the most successful people in the world consume an extremely healthy diet. Now, I know this isn't true for all successful people, but it really does help. Would you like to know what some of your heroes eat during the day? Keep listening to find out. Andy Murray The former world number one tennis player eats salmon and rice for lunch and has plenty of protein shakes when he's training. Nicole Scherzinger The former pussycat doll eats plenty of blueberries and pineapples and often has a large portion of vegetables with three slices of turkey for lunch. Gwyneth Paltrow the successful Hollywood actress promotes healthy living and wellness on her lifestyle website. She told Vogue magazine that she usually has grilled chicken and a large salad for lunch. Novak Djokovic The tennis star enjoys plenty of vegetables and some form of carbohydrate for lunch. He doesn't eat any foods containing gluten 
and stays away from caffeine, dairy, and refined sugar. Madonna? The singer's diet is slightly extreme, and you probably won't find a lot of what she eats in a regular supermarket. Her diet consists of sea vegetables, wakame, kelp, and nori. She stays away from meat, eggs, dairy, and wheat. Michelle Obama. The former first lady enjoys stir-fried vegetables and fish with potatoes or brown rice for lunch. She also has a love for vegetable pizzas on whole wheat bread. Obviously, a healthy diet isn't the only reason these people are successful. But Chapter 10. The Secret to Replacing Your Bad Habits If you've got to this chapter, I can only assume you've reached that stage in your life where you're sick and tired of being sick and tired, and you're ready to make a change. I'm hoping that by now you understand that you're not going to become the best version of yourself overnight, and it's going to take some work. But it's also important to understand that getting started will be the most difficult part of your journey. Getting started is the hardest part. Getting started on this journey of developing good habits is the most difficult obstacle to overcome. My favorite words during that time were, I'll start tomorrow. Six months down the line, and I had yet to see tomorrow. Other than pure laziness, there are many reasons why starting is the hardest part when it comes to making changes in your life. One of my biggest fears was the fear of success. I know, it sounds strange, doesn't it? How can you be afraid of living the life of your dreams? Let's take a look at some of the reasons why getting started is so hard. The fear of success. What happens when you overcome all your bad habits and become super successful? Your life will change drastically and I just wasn't ready for it. It all goes back to staying in your comfort zone. You know what your life is like. You're used to living this way. And now you've got to step into another dimension that you know nothing about. Subconsciously, I wanted to remain in a place where I was familiar with everything. Or maybe you're afraid of what your friends and family members will think once you start working on that project. What happens if someone at your sophisticated job finds out your side hustle is a bit on the unserious side? What if you do become a New York Times best-selling author? How are you going to keep up such a high standard? For me, the fear of success had the same power as the fear of failure. They were both preventing me from moving forward. You don't have the support. When I told my parents I was quitting my job as an investment banker to become an author, they were not impressed. As far as they were concerned, an author wasn't a proper job. And they hadn't invested all that money into my private school education for me to become a starving writer. I had zero support, none, from my friends or my family. They thought what I was doing was completely and utterly ridiculous. When you value the opinion of your friends and family members, and you care what other people think about you, the last thing you want to do is end up in a situation where they don't agree with what you're doing. But you can't live like this, or you'll never get anywhere in life. 
if following your dreams means you need to cut some people off or keep them at arm's length, then that's what you've got to do. You feel lost. I have a friend who has a very successful clothing line, but it took him several years to get it off the ground because he didn't know where to start. He was a gifted designer, and he knew exactly how he wanted his clothes to look, but there were so many things he didn't understand, so he just buried his head in the sand. His story is extremely inspiring. He remembers how his friends used to mock him because he was always showing them his designs, but no one ever saw the finish. Chapter 11. Healthy Habits to Adopt If you are anything like me, there are probably a lot of things you're doing right now that you don't know are bad for you. For example, I've always been a sloucher, and it wasn't until my mentor pulled me up on it that I made a conscious decision to change the habit. To give you a helping hand, I'm going to end the audiobook with a list of healthy habits you can adopt. Have a listen through the list and see what you could apply that would benefit you. Be more positive. You are what you think. So if you have a habit of seeing the worst in everything, being too critical, or thinking negative thoughts all the time, you're probably not a very happy person. Now, don't take that the wrong way. It's the reality of the situation. Negative thinking leads to a downward spiral of decline. Trust me, I've seen good friends break up because one friend thought the other wasn't supporting them because they weren't liking their Instagram posts. Sounds ridiculous, but it happens. Let me break it down. You post some good news, and your best friend doesn't like the post. What's your first thought? That maybe they didn't see it? They saw it but forgot to like it? Or they ignored the post because they were hating and being mean and spiteful? In the scenario above, you immediately jump to the conclusion that the post wasn't liked because the other friend was hating and being mean and spiteful. You kept thinking about it, got worked up, and decided to confront your friend. The friend says she didn't see it, but you're convinced she did. Well, that's a really stupid assumption, because unless you were there to actually see your friend scroll past it, and inside your friend's head to see that she was hating, there's no way you can possibly come to that conclusion. Therefore, since you don't have all the facts, the best way to deal with it is to assume your friend didn't see the post, or they saw it and forgot to like it. No big deal. It's only a like, right? Smile more often. Smiling improves your overall mental well-being. There are some days when you just don't feel like smiling, but according to research, feel-good hormones are released when you smile. And even if you fake it, the brain can't tell the difference, so the feel-good hormones are released anyway. Make a habit of smiling, and you'll notice how much better you feel, even on the bad days. Snuggle with your partner. Relationships take work. When the initial chemistry wears off, you've got to put the effort in to keep your union strong. One way you can do this is through snuggling. 
Physical touch influences how you feel about your partner because hugging triggers the release of the love and bonding hormone oxytocin. In other words, you can quickly spice up your love life by making a habit of hugging your partner. Step out of your comfort zone. Growth doesn't happen in comfortable surroundings. If you want to be successful, you've got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. Write out a list of all the things you don't enjoy. For example, I can't stand swimming, but now I go swimming once a week. You've reached the end of another episode of Voice Over Work, an audiobook sampler. Where do you listen? Connect with us at newtonmg.com and join us next week for another preview of a new audiobook. Thanks for joining us. Have a great week.